it's always a privilege to come back to TCF to worship with you, to share with you, to listen to your prayers, see what's going on here. We can't keep up with it. I mean, you do so many things, and uh, it's it's difficult for me this time to, I don't know, I, I had more trouble deciding what I wanted to speak on this time than I have in the past, uh, and I don't really know why. I just felt like... Uh, you know, keynote speakers, but you should come up with something a little better, you know, um, than, than normal. And then I, and I said, no, I'm just me. I'll just have to continue to do what I do. Um, but uh, what do you say? You know, you, you do so much in missions, and here I'm supposed to try to tell you something about missions. Well, I, I, I can tell you a lot about what we do, and uh, but this morning, I'm it's not even morning. I usually speak in the morning. Uh, this afternoon. No, it's evening, isn't it, right? Yeah. I need my wife here, you know. I, she's the bubbly one, you know, and I, I, I just teach, you know. It's usually what I do. All right, do we have a slide? Can we? Here we go. In it to win it. Now, um, you may have heard this phrase before. Um, Anybody else watch American Idol? Uh, does that still show? Do they still have that? I remember watching the show. We, it's one of the few shows we could get over in Africa. And uh, somebody would get up there and sing and so forth. And uh, I think his name was Randy, also Randy Jackson. He would say, you're in it to win it, uh, which I thought was kind of uh, not very discerning statement. Uh, as if the, all the other singers and actors and whatever were not in it to win it. Um, they certainly should all be in it to win it. Um, it's also not a very Christian goal, you know, uh, biblical goal. I mean, who, who should be an idol? Uh, we kind of speak against idols. But it really is that, you know, in the show. Uh, you, want to be, you want to become an idol, an American idol. So I, I didn't choose these words in it to win it to copy what they do on American Idol, okay? I just chose these words so you could possibly remember my message next week. Um, I want to know, are we in it to win it or are we just in it to win? That's the question. And, and the text uh, that I'm going to be looking at is Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, and I'm going to look at two different things, one thing tonight and one thing uh, on, on Monday, and to understand this uh, in it to win it, you need to, I need to redefine it for you. What I need to do is redefine it. It is not a contest. We are not in a contest to try to do better one than the other. It is the world, the world in which we live, and we need to be in it to win it for Jesus. We are not in it. God didn't choose us to be in it to win or to succeed, although sometimes that goes along with it. It was never guaranteed. About the only thing Jesus guaranteed was that we'd be persecuted uh, and that he would be with us. So that's what I want to look at. Um, in this, these few verses, we find... The, the disciples' initial uh, desire was to be in it to win. And Jesus had to change that. 
to get them to be in it to win it. They wanted to succeed. They wanted all the blessings. Um, so let's read the text. Let's see here. Which way do I go? To? Oh, yeah, I remember. Did that work? No. Yeah, it's on. There we go. Got the text. Well, I'll read it from the NIV, and after that, I'll get, go to the RHV later on, okay? You've never heard of the RH, RHV, I'll tell you what it is later. Um, but here uh, in verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, that's Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm sure you've heard these verses many times, probably just about every missions conference you've had, and uh, hopefully I can talk about some things you may not have thought of before, but possibly I'll just be reminding you of things. To understand the disciples' question here, I, I need to go back and actually look at this expression, baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's another expression you've heard many times. It gets used for various concepts, and it's something that we as Christians have been able to fight over for at least 100 years uh, to try to determine what it means. So uh, they all had it wrong. I'm going to tell you what it means today. Um, actually, I, wa I want to look at some things. Um, but in uh, seminary teaching, we have a, a saying that... A text out of context is a pretext. Uh, without the context, it's just a pretext to teach whatever you want to do, um, whatever you want to teach on. So you need to put it in context. So let's look a little bit at the context. If you, if you go back up in the first few verses of this, uh, the, the author is presenting what he's wanting to go, what he's wanting to do. He's uh, presenting what uh, Jesus is going to be doing here. And before he was taken up into heaven, because that's the next verses that we will find, he was giving, the NIV says, instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Uh, let's change that word and put it commands or orders. Instructions is not strong enough for this. Uh, and the, the say, it's, a, it's a synonym of the word that's used down in verse 4. So Jesus wanted to give some commands before he left. And then he says that he was, during that period of about uh, 40 days, he was talking about the kingdom of God. So that's kind of the general introduction to this passage. And then uh, Luke is going to get down to the specifics. He's going to talk about one command, and he's going to give some instructions about the kingdom. He's going to some, give some teaching on the kingdom that have to do with that command. So... 
And the one command he tells them is that they need to wait. They need to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And he gives some reason why they should wait for this promise of the Father. It's because in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, so the order that God gave them, the command that he gave them, was to wait for the promise of the Father. And then in the next few verses, he does some kingdom teaching. I actually think he brought up this uh, statement from John, uh, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think he brought it up to clear up some ideas that they had about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So, but to understand that, you're going to have to bear with me for a little bit to give some explanations. Baptize with the Holy Spirit. First, probably one of the things uh, we need to know about that is for the word baptism. Let's see if I can get this. Yes, I think it's going to change. Yes, it changed to nothing. Am I doing something wrong? All right. Are you able to do it back there for me? I'll just tell you when to change it. All right. We already said, talked about that, so let's go to the next one. Meanings for uh, the term baptizo. Is, is Jim here? All right. I'd, I'd have to apologize for pronouncing it that way. That's the French way of saying the, the Greek word. And the, it wouldn't, here he would tell me it was baptizo. But since they don't have a short I in French, if I say that, nobody understands me, so I do it with a long I in French. So, baptizo. What, what we don't understand often is that, is that is not an English word. It is a Greek word that they have just transliterated. They just use, put the same letters over it and you pronounce it in, in French or in English or whatever version you have. So, the word actually has several meanings, but we only have one meaning that we're familiar with in English. And that's what we do when we have a new convert. You baptize them, right? And so that's the one meaning that we have, and, but it has several meanings. So let's, let's go to the next one. We'll look at the, the first meaning is to plunge or dip into a liquid without any other meaning to it. And in, uh, in the uh, Greek world at the time, it was used for that. We don't have any use like that in the Bible, not a one. But outside the Bible, it was just talking about something that was dipped in water or dipped in wine, perhaps. You had a ship, a ship that was baptized is a sunken ship. It's at the bottom. And sometimes you would baptize meat like you would season it. You would dip it in wine, for example. Those are a couple of exam examples. Let's go to the next one. Uh, ritual cleansing. Now, this is something we don't have very many of these in the Bible, but uh, it's used to, you, you dip something in water, typically, for cleansing. And not, we're not talking about hygiene here. We're talking about ritual cleansing. You're unclean spiritually. And so you would have Naaman, who was told to go dip seven times, in the Jordan, it says, in the Septuagint version, the Greek version, it says, go baptize yourself seven times in the Jordan. And the disciples, uh, one day they were eating, and the Pharisees 
complained and said, why didn't your disciples baptize their hands before they ate? Again, it's not hygiene that we're talking about here. It was a ritual ceremony so that they would be pure before God before they ate. Now, in your Bibles, it doesn't say baptize, right? It says, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? There, they know that we better translate that or nobody's going to understand it. Because if they said, why don't you baptize your hands? You'd think, well, why didn't they just baptize the whole body? Why would you just baptize the hands? So that's the second meaning that, for this word. Third meaning, if we'll put it up there, it is an initiation ritual. And this is the one we're familiar with. This is where uh, you get baptized, and it's a part of becoming a, a member of the body of Christ. Or for John the Baptist, it was part of a member coming and being a part of this last days community that are waiting for the Messiah. So there was a baptism, which uh, probably signified also purification, that you're uh, wanting to be pure before the Lord, and you're wanting to become part of this new thing that's happening. So that was the third meaning. The fourth meaning, if we'll bring it up, is completely different. It is a metaphorical meaning, which is just basically talking about an image. It's an image of something else. So they're taking the image of dipping something in a liquid and applying it to something else. And it's you can apply it... Uh, in, in the literature, it's applied to misery, baptized in misery. It's applied to debts, baptized in debts. But we don't translate it that way because it doesn't really fit. The usual translation for this type of, um, for this type of baptism is overwhelmed. It's a powerful image of something happens and usually bad. In fact, in the, in the Greek literature, outside of the Bible, it's always bad. At least all the examples that we know of. We're talking about a city that was baptized in debt. We might say that was flooded with debts or drowning in debts would be a, a way of to giving that kind of powerful expression to it. Or drowning in misery. The Bible uses this term as well. In Isaiah... I think it's uh, chapter 21, verse 4, and you won't find it in your text because your texts translate from the Hebrew, but in the Greek version of it, it says that Isaiah was um, baptized with iniquity, overwhelmed by iniquity. It's also, Jesus also uses this, this expression of baptism. He says, I have a baptism with which I must be baptized. He's not talking about water baptism. He's not talking about spirit baptism. He already had both. He's talking about the calamities that are in front of him, the persecution, the uh, being killed on the cross. That's the type of thing. So when we, uh, when we go to John's expression, baptized with the Holy Spirit, you can guess already where I'm going to land with this by the title of my book, Overwhelmed by the Spirit. I, I think uh, John is, have, is, has a play on words here. This word that means more than one thing, he's using two different meanings of the word. Now, 
I baptize you with water. But Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Or you could say, he will overwhelm you with Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the word spirit is also used in different ways. And because the same word means spirit, wind, breath, uh, all, of, all the same word. And so there are many places in the Old Testament where the same word is used for God bringing destruction upon evil nations. So I, I have uh, retranslated uh, the expression of John in the next slide. So okay, I thought I'd be able to read it back there, but my, even with my glasses, my eyes are not that good. But this, this is the RHV, which is either the Randy Harrison version or the revised Harrison version, but I haven't revised it, so it's probably the Randy Harrison version. And I've, I've translated it be, because um, our text that we have, we've divided up into several sentences, and it's actually one sentence. In fact, verse 15 is part of the same sentence. And uh, here's, here's we go. I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I and the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie is coming. Now, the, great, the translations that you have follow the uh, words in Greek, but not the grammar of the Greek. Uh, the grammar of the Greek, it's a relative phrase. So John is describing the person who is coming. And so in English, we usually put that kind of phrase right next to the person or thing that you're describing. So in the Greek, in your text, it'll say, uh, the one who's more powerful than I is coming. And then another sentence to say, his, we're not, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps. But actually that who is not worthy to untie his shoes is part of this description of this person who's coming. And then the next phrase, uh, he whose winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, the verse, verse 17 of this chapter is another relative clause in other words, a, a kind of semi-sentence to describe the baptizer. It's describing the baptizer. It's the person who does the winnow. And the obvious way of interpreting this, just if you just had this pe passage, would be verse 17 is an explanation of verse 16. Baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire is the winnowing. It's because, remember, spirit can mean Holy Spirit, human spirit, wind, or breath. Okay? So, you could, I, I, that's why I put down here, if you wanted to translate holy wind or holy breath, just like some places in the Old Testament, you have the, the breath of the Lord that blows upon them and destroys them. So this winnowing process 
Anybody done winnowing before? Okay, they, they take, you got the wheat here, and it's got all the stocks, it's got all the stuff with it, plus the grain. You want to keep the grain, you want to get rid of the rest of it. So what they will do, they will take a shovel or a, a, a pick and take that wheat and throw it up into the air. And the breeze will blow away the chaff, the stuff you don't want. And then the heavier grain will fall back down to the floor, and you take that off and put it into your barns. And that chaff, you take it off and burn it because it's not good for anything else. So the clear way, the best way to understand that passage, if you didn't have any other passage, would be he's explaining what he means by baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Judgment. Exactly the same thing he's saying in the rest of the passage. Judgment is coming. You better repent. Ooh, that doesn't sound very good. I don't think I want to be baptized with Holy Spirit and fire. Do you? But unfortunately, we, don't, we have more than just this verse that uses Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts, it's not that. It's not destruction. It's something else. And that, that's, that's the problem. That's why you have so many people with so many different kinds of interpretations for this expression. If we only had John, the Baptist, everybody would have the same interpretation. But we have John the Baptist saying, and then Jesus picks up the same phrase, only he uses it differently. For one, he drops the term fire. He leaves that out. He says, in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, the way I understand this, I could be wrong, so you can quote me, and you'd be wrong too. But... <laughs> Um, the way I understand this is we're looking at it as if baptized in the Holy Spirit is a well-defined event that we can describe, and we either have it or we don't have it. Whereas I've come to the conclusion that baptized in the Holy Spirit is a colorful and powerful event image to describe the activity of the Spirit, which can be used for different experiences. It can be used to talk about uh, winnowing and the destruction of, of the unjust, and the salvation bringing into the kingdom of the just. Or it can be used for a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit. And that's the way Jesus is using it in um, Acts chapter 1. So maybe we'll go back, we'll go uh, on to that, the next one. Let's go back to the passage, and let's try to understand the flow of thought here. I'm getting to something. This is not just a class. I'm, I'm actually trying to get to a point here. Um, forgive me for being a teacher and trying to give all these details. Believe me, I have a whole lot more details that I will try and spare you. Um, some of them are in my book if you're really interested in details. So let me just plug the, the two books there. This, this one's mine. Some, some of you already have this, and you've already read one or two chapters and gave up uh, for the rest of it. Um, but if you're, if you're really wanting to study, you can get this book. 
I brought some more in case you don't have it and want it. I charge $10. If you're here and you really want to study and you don't have it, you, you give me whatever you have. And if it's nothing, you just take it. Okay? Those, the ones that pay $10 for it will help me pay for yours. Vieta's uh, written a book, and hers is a lot easier to read than mine and more inspiring than mine. Um, it's really good. Uh, I'm, I think mine's really good too, but it's for people who want to study, and there's not too many people that really want to study that much, you know. But uh, Dear Moms' Prayer is, uh, she had a ministry of helping uh, mothers put their prayer requests together for their children uh, for about the last 10 years of our life in Africa, and she developed a, a huge ministry with that, and each week she would uh, give a little teaching or a little uh, devotion on how to pray for your children. And so we're, there's 52 of those devotions in this, and uh, it, I, I guarantee you, you'll like it if you read this. Um, and it's not just for missionaries, but it's how you can pray for your children or your grandchildren or uh, other people you need to pray for. Bill's read it, and I think he could tell you that. Anyway, Candy Rosinski did the cover, so that's good, good there. Anyway, she, she only charges $5 because it's a smaller book. And she didn't give me the permission to give it to you for free, so you'll have to ask her for that if you need that one. Um, okay, so let's uh, continue on here. All right, Jesus gives them the command, don't leave. You need this. You can't, you can't do ministry without this. You can't be effective without this. So you need to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father becomes clear in the next chapter or two. It's already fairly clear that he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about a specific function of the Holy Spirit that I will call the prophetic anointing. Because they quote the Joel, the prophecy of Joel, that the Spirit will come uh, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's talking about an anointing, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. So are your servants and, and, and so forth. So this is uh, Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples who heard John say this are probably going to understand this judgment, last day's judgment. And they're looking forward to that. They were hoping Jesus would do that before he got killed. And when he got killed, they thought, oh, he must not have been the one. Because Old Testament prophecy talked about the Messiah coming, and when the Messiah would, came, he would establish his kingdom in Israel and his throne in Jerusalem, and there was all, all kinds of blessings that were talked about there. And not only that, I actually needed that, uh, not only that, but Jesus himself had told the disciples several times. Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? And Jesus says, well, yeah, whatever you've left, you'll have multiple times that in this world and in the world to come, eternal life. He even told the disciples that when he came into his kingdom, they'd be sitting on 12 thrones judging Israel. So they're discussing this among themselves, which of one, one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. All these kind of things Jesus is trying to correct all along. 
Jesus knows this is not the right attitude to have. But in their minds, the kingdom means we're going to get rid of these ugly Romans. We're going to have our own kingdom. Everything's going to be good again. We're not going to be colonized and forced to do what we don't want to do. We're going to live like kings now. And so they're so happy about it, and they say, oh, finally. We thought this was done, but now you're come back to life. We're ready for this kingdom. So is it now? You said it's in a few days. Is it now that the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel? And Jesus, as usual, very calmly gives a response to correct this poor eschatology. They, they didn't understand. They needed the correct understanding. So he says, you've got the timing wrong. This is not the time for that. Jesus didn't say that wouldn't happen. He just said, you got the timing wrong. And only the Father knows the time about that. Don't worry about that. But what is happening now, and here he gives the other explanation for this expression. He gives a new meaning in, in my book. He gives a new meaning to the expression, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And that new meaning is verse 8. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's go to the next slide. I'm probably forgetting to do this. And the next one. Is that it? Oh, okay. Then I won't miss the next slide. The question I need to ask, the disciples, they were in it to win. They thought, we're on the winning team. We're with the Messiah. They were so willing to be on the winning team and so sure that if you're with the Messiah, you don't need anybody else. You, even if the whole Roman army is going to come against you and you only have two swords, lift up your sword and let's start the battle because we can't lose. And so chop off the ear of one of the people that came to arrest Jesus. Immediately, Jesus says, no, 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 put that away. That's not why I'm here. And he heals the man that had his ear cut off. Jesus, again, is changing their whole concept of the kingdom. The kingdom that he is coming to establish at this point is not a political kingdom. It is not going to have its residence in Jerusalem as opposed to Rome. He's not getting rid of that system or any of the systems that we have. He's coming to proclaim good news. Good news to the poor. Good news all over the world. And he says, that's why you need to be overwhelmed by the Spirit. Because without the Spirit's power, you're not going to be able to do this. You're going to have to have that power to reach the world, to win the world for Jesus. So I, I, th- I think here and now, when am I supposed to end? Doesn't matter? Nine o'clock? No, okay. Um, are we in it to win it? 
or are we in it to win? I would say the most popular preaching, not only in the United States today, but in all the world where I have been, maybe maybe you've been to places where they don't preach this, I, I doubt if in persecuted countries it's so so popular, but most preaching is telling you how God can help you win. Most popular preaching. How God can help you win, can help you succeed. It's popular because everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to succeed. I do. And if you follow the principles that are in the Bible, if you follow the wisdom that's in the Bible, your life will probably be better. Because that wisdom will help us to do things right. And we can advance. This is a concept that they, they look at all around the world. That when the gospel comes in and people start living their lives according to the principles that Jesus taught, things usually get better. But not always. Because sometimes there's persecution. And if we're doing it right, if we're telling the good news, it will usually bring about jealousy, anger, lots of other things that will cause it not to go exactly the way we want it. It will cause things to be worse, not better. So we're not in it to win. We're in it to win it. Um, We're in it to win it for Jesus. That is the prime objective. What does they say in Star Trek? You know, that's the prime objective. It's the thing that's the most important. I tried to think, you know, how, what are some examples that I can give? And, you know, I, I really need the Holy Spirit to speak to you. See, these, these other things can become obstacles or deterrence from us going toward the prime objective, the most important thing. The other things can be good, very good. But it can keep us from functioning at the level we need to function to win the world for Jesus. And I'm not saying you're not doing it. Gosh, I can't believe all that you guys do. This is an amazing congregation for supporting missions. And we have been beneficiaries for 45 years. That is a long time. I don't even want to count up how much money you give me. I'd feel like I was in debt. So you make lots of sacrifices so that you can win the world for Jesus. I don't know what things might be here that could hinder you from having the impact that you could have. So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you some of the things that you may have or that we may have at the church, because I consider myself part of this church even though I'm not here, um, what do we have that is um, getting in the way? What are we thinking, doing, emphasizing that can be uh, uh, cause difficulties? Uh, I, I've tried to think of some examples in the past that don't have the right objective. And I can get in trouble here, so if I do, please just forgive me, you know. Uh, did anybody read the book King's Kids? That was a long time ago. Uh, probably most of you are too young for that. 
uh, King's Kid. It's a terrific book. It had terrific uh, testimonies in it and all kinds of wonderful things the Lord was, was doing. I was impressed by it. And, uh, but the emphasis in the book is really on uh, material blessings. And it talks about being king's kids, that we're, we're uh, the, the king's children. We're the king's kids. So we ought to have all the privileges of a king's son or daughter. And so it's kind of just uh, laying that out and saying, well, you, you can have this, and you can have this, and so forth. And which, in a way, is true. All of these things are good, and, but it's, it's the wrong emphasis. The Bible talks a whole lot more about being the king's servant or the king's slave than it does about being the king's kid. Um, now, and that's not a bad thing. You would think that would make you sad. I'd rather be the king's kid, so, I, can, Daddy, can I have some more of this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And most of the time he's going to listen to you. A lot of time he's going to give it to you. Uh, but really what he wants to hear, here I am, your willing servant. Servant, What can I do? How can I advance the kingdom? And the, the funny um, paradox and all that is that you will have more fun, be more fulfilled, be happier to be a servant than to be a spoiled kid. And... But we've got to change the mindset. Because our mindset, our natural tendency, is to say, how can Jesus help me? What can Jesus do to make my life better? I've got things in my life that I want to improve. It's all right to ask those questions. But we don't want to get our priorities out of order. Uh, another one I, I, I thought of was the Toronto Blessing. Now, some of you probably got blessed by the Toronto Blessing, so I, and I don't want to deny that. I, there are lots of people who got blessed by the Toronto Blessing. Uh, I was in France at the time that all this was going on and didn't go to Toronto, so I didn't get that blessing. But, <laughs> but I got to go to Stoneley in England. There was a church that came and visited us. That, I think they were in the island of uh, Guernsey. And they came and visited us in our little church in France and said, well, we want to bless you, so we're going to pay your way. If you, you just get there, and we'll pay for your week to come to Stonely Conference. And it was, a, it was kind of a, a repercussion of, of uh, Toronto Blessing. And so I go there, and um, this, that's great. This is a vacation. Uh, just make sure you're right on the other side of the road, because it will not be a blessing if you do, if you don't. Uh, so I go to Stonely in England, and they got these speakers, and there's thousands of people, and they're all joyous and everything, and there's all kinds of weird things happening, and I think, is this the Lord? Um, so I, I, I'm not real picky, I'm afraid. You know, my, my more theologian type of brothers and sisters, uh, you know, get, angry, get upset with me sometimes, because I... I, I'll, I'll look for God even when I think this might not be God. I'll just say, Lord, is this you? Sure doesn't look like it to me, but if you want to tell me, show me that it is, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be wrong. Well, I went to Stonely, and um, 
gosh, they, they started praying for people, and the, the big thing that they were looking for is either you, you, would, you could fall down and get blessed or, or start laughing and get blessed or have a vision and get blessed. And so um, anybody that wants prayer, just stand up, and, and people around you will pray for you to get a blessing. Well, I want all the blessings. So I stood up, and I get these people coming around me, and they start praying for me, and they're just... They're, they're getting more and more uh, hyper about their prayers, louder and louder, and a little bit more effort putting in, into it. And I'm just standing there, just asking the Lord to bless, you know, whatever the Lord wants to do, you know. And finally, uh, somebody, they start putting a hand on the head or on the chest. I feel a little bit of pushing. I feel, you know, and I, I so this is all happening. And I'm thinking, is this the Lord? Is this the Lord, you know? Uh, and finally, the one kid, I don't know how old he was, came over to me and he says, now, if, if you're feeling like you want to be blessed, you know, to fall under the power of the Spirit and be blessed, just let it happen. You know, just, you know, I, I always say, if you, need, if you need to give God a hand, it's not God. Later on in the meeting, somebody got up and he said, we haven't seen very many people come to Christ during this movement. But this movement is really to, to prepare the church. God wants to bless his church so that when the end comes, they will be able to be effective. That's when I said, I don't know about the rest of this movement, but whatever is happening here is not what God is wanting. Because if we're not winning this world for Jesus, we've missed the mark. If we're in it for the blessing, we've missed the mark. That's not to mean we don't get blessed. God wants to bless us. God loves us. He wants to bless us. But sometimes he may think it's better for you to suffer. What? He might think it's better for you to go without rather than to give you everything you need. I can say with Paul, I've, I, I've learned to do without and I've learned to be blessed. I have lived times where I, we didn't know how we were going to live, how we were going to pay for things. And I've had other times, I'm in one of those times right now. I'm so blessed now. I've had, well, we got things so much easier than we've had it for so many years yeah, uh, it's just great. But I think, Lord, you can keep this up if you want. <laughs> but I also say, Lord, I'm your willing servant. Whatever you have for me, I know that's going to be the best. I know that's what's going to bring, bring glory to you, and that's what will be the best for your kingdom. And that's what gets me excited. So... Jesus didn't say, seek the blessings. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And believe me, that, that's, that's what I try to do. And I feel, I feel like God's been adding so many things, so I just I don't know what to do about it. But I'm not going to tell you, okay, this is step one, step two, step three. It's a walk with Jesus. We have to surrender to him in faith. If you believe, this is what I tell 
uh, people all the time. If you believe that Jesus, if, if, if God is all-powerful, everybody, not a person in this room doesn't believe God is all-powerful, right? Do you believe God loves you with a perfect love? Absolutely. So whatever he has for me has got to be the absolute best for me and for the, what he's called me to do. And sometimes that absolute best doesn't look like the absolute best. Because I have a, a mixed up perspective. I have a perspective that I have gained from living in this world for 69 years now. I've been living with Jesus for most of that time now. I haven't counted up how many years. It's more than 45. Uh, but sometimes I have that perspective that comes in there from my living in this world, that I've inherited from uh, the society in which I live. And sometimes I actually have that perspective that comes from what teachers of the Word have given me, what I've read in the Word, what Jesus is speaking to me. And I need to be able to discern the difference. I'm going to quit here in a minute. Um, you know, I, I had a struggle, personal struggle on, on some of this. I, I teach often on this, and I'm going to be teaching some more on Sunday about our need uh, to have this power of the Holy Spirit manifested for winning the world. There's so much of the world that won't be won for Christ unless they see some tangible stuff happen. And so uh, I needed that. I came to the Lord for a miracle. I, I saw a miracle of healing. I turned my life over to Jesus. Didn't even know I was getting saved. I just had the Holy Spirit working in my life and I gave my life to Jesus. If you can do this, you're the one I want to serve. Powerful things. And this is happening all over the world. And some of you have those kind of experiences in your life, probably most of you. But this is something we don't just wait for it to happen. It's something that we're looking to see happen among us. And so I, one day I was thinking, Lord, I give almost, always give the same examples. Because, uh, you know, you, you haven't really done that many miracles through me. Okay? You know, I can count them on one hand practically times when I prayed and, and that something miraculous happened, everybody knew this was God. You know, if I had a few more of those, Lord, I might be more convincing when I teach. <laughs> do you want to do that, Lord? Maybe I should spend more time in prayer that you'll give that to me. Maybe I should spend more time going out and having meetings and maybe praying for people at the end of the meetings and, and you could do some of that for me. And I, w I was praying about this and asking the Lord and and I, I felt like the Lord told me, I called you to teach. I didn't call you to do that. You know, this is, this is the way you're to serve me. So anyway, I still pray for people and hope that something will happen. But it doesn't all, always happen that way. I guess I should have more faith, but, you know, I've, I have faith. I've, I've seen things. I know God does things. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more on Sunday. But it's just... What is our objective? Is it so that I can succeed and be the great guy that does all the wonderful things? Or is it that the world comes to Jesus? However that may be. And what is my part in that? What has he called me to do in that?
All right. What are some of the today's distractions? Okay, we got plenty of teaching on how to get material blessings. Is it a, is it a distraction for us, or it is is it what God is leading us to look at look for? How about spiritual blessings? Is that what I'm looking for? I can't tell. You know, I can't read your hearts unless God gives me a word, and that doesn't happen very often. I tell you that I've already told you that. I don't get that very often. I've had it a couple times in my life, and it scared me to death. But um, what do we need? And there's one more thing I, I wanted to mention, and I'm kind of scared to mention it because it's caused so much trouble in churches in the United States, is uh, what about political gains? Are we winning in the political battles? I won't even tell you how I lean politically, although you can probably guess. Um, I've seen a lot in, in the church, and I know that the elders have tried to uh, deal with this here so that it doesn't become a, a problem here, but I've seen families split. I've seen churches split. I've seen all kinds of things, and, and the, emphasis, the emphasis is on the long, wrong syllable. Um, you can be doing really good. Uh, with, uh, you know, uh, political things. But is that the prime objective? I personally believe, you know, we might be able to have a gain here or a loss there in, in terms of biblical uh, following in the United States, States, but without a revival among God's people, it's not going to last. Uh, we're, we're, that's, that's a battle we can't win. I mean, that's not to say you don't fight. You don't, don't try to put, throw your hat in the ring for the things you believe in. You've got to do that. But don't ju- judge your brother or sister if their hat's in a different ring because they're trying to do the same. And that's the thing about politics. It's just so, so confusing. How can you ever know when you're right? You know, so... Um, what am I saying here? It can be a distraction. And I believe it's in many places in the church in America today, it has become a distraction. We get so in, involved in that, have such strong feelings about that, that we're losing our opportunity. Let me tell you about an example in Cote d'Ivoire. You think you have problems. Um, we, it came time to vote for uh, a new president. You, you know, you do that here too. Um, and they had so much conflict in Cote d'Ivoire that we asked the United Nations, both, both sides, all the fighting parties decided, let's ask the United Nations to come in and, what, what do they call that? They don't verify, but they monitor the, the elections to make sure they're free and just elections. So they bring in the United Nations. Well, we had uh, one president who claimed to be a Christian. That was our former president. Bagbo, and we had another candidate who was the uh, only person who could probably beat him in an election, and that was uh, Alassane Ouattara, and he was a Muslim. Now, Bagbo didn't live much like a Christian. He also had a Muslim wife. He had one Muslim wife and one Christian wife, uh, and Alassane Ouattara didn't live much like a Muslim. He had a Catholic French wife. 
But the, all of the speaking about these two candidates became religious. I don't say Christian, I say religious. Most of the Christians were supporting Magbo because he was the Christian. And uh, his wife was evangelical and came to lots of evangelical meetings and would give out lots of money because the president has lots of money to throw around. And she would give money to churches and so forth. And so the Christians, most of them, supported Bakbo, the former president. Um, so they ha- we had the election. And at the end of it, the Supreme Court says that Bakbo won. The United Nations gets up in front of uh, television and says, Alassane Watra won. And then they go flee to a hotel where they're guarded uh, with arms because they were, they were probably going to get killed. So, so we had two presidents in our country. At that time, I actually saw with my own eyes Christian groups uh, marching around the camp of the United Nations and praying curses down on them. Because they were the ones that were the problem. You know, we didn't get our Christian president. Now, I don't think we're going to get there here. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully the Christians here will be able to look at this and even if they disagree, are going to approach this in a different manner. And in the, in the end, uh, the seminary where I worked, we were one of the few that didn't get involved in this, the whole seminary. In fact, we had students from all the factions, from all the parts that were warring in our seminary. And some of our students who came from Mali, Burkina Faso, uh, uh, and, and some of these countries that were more Muslim, they couldn't go out in the streets because they would get beat up. You know, they would know, you're from Burkina. You must be on the bad side. And so the students who were from Cote d'Ivoire would go out and shop for them. They, we had students that their village was attacked and lots of people killed. And the other students would go to them night after night and pray with them and comfort them because that was what was important. And uh, in the end, after the, everything had gone over and uh, uh, Alassane Watra, the new president, finally got enough warlords to back him to be able to take power over the country, And so, um, at the end of that, you have all of these factions around the country where people uh, are angry with each other because they killed each other. And so it's it's time for revenge. How do you heal a country after that? And they actually asked our seminary to send people into these places to try to bring healing and reconciliation. It's still a problem. We need to have our eyes fixed on the primary objective. And if we lose that primary objective by getting lost in these other areas 
which may be perfectly good. Where are we going with it? Okay. That's what I wanted to share tonight. I, I, I hope I'm not too uh, serious there. I know if Deanna were here, we'd laugh a lot more. We'd have a lot more fun. Uh, I tried to have fun too, but, you know, I'm just not as good at it as she is. But may God bless you. And Sunday, I hope to be a little bit more positive. I'm, I, this Tonight, I wanted to talk about our, um, our responsibilities, what are our priorities, and I can't tell you what your priorities are. You, that's got to be each one of you, you know, seeking in your own hearts and for the elders, seeking for the church, you know, what's, uh, where are our priorities? I mean, you've already established your priorities from a long time ago. Uh, but there are sometimes things can sneak in. And, and, and interrupt that or slow it down or make it more difficult. So I'm going to leave that to you to pray about that. And then Sunday I want to talk about something more positive. And that's what Jesus says about the kingdom, not what the disciples were thinking about the kingdom. Thank you.